in a moment or two, we're going to have one or two notices regarding the church, but I think we'll start with uh, the lighting of the Advent candle. So have we got some volunteers who are going to come out and uh, light three candles for us? Yes. How would you come? Right. Yeah. Anybody else who's not done it? We can have three people because one can do each of the three candles. So do you know how to do this? Yep. Okay. That's it. On you go. Yeah, it was. Oh, needs a lot of strength. Yeah, that's it. Keep going. That's wonderful. Next one. Can you reach up? Yep. Good. And you've got even further to reach, haven't you? Oh, oh, right. Okay. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? Here we go. That's it. Oh, yes. Look at that. Yeah, it's uh, this. Yeah, you're pushing it that way, that direction. Uh, Okay. Let's see if we can help you there. Yeah, let me just. There we go. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yep. Good. Yep. Three Advent candles. Right, shall we have the notices now? There we go. And Janice is now going to bring us our Bible reading from Isaiah. The reading is from Isaiah chapter 35, the passage that's often read in the Advent season about the coming of the Lord. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like the deer and the tongue of the dumb shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs, in the haunts where jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it, It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up upon it. They will not be found there. 
but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. Thank you, Janice. And so we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all our hearts will be acceptable, Lord, in your sight, our King and our Redeemer. Amen. So, as Janice said, this uh, passage from the prophecy of Isaiah, we're looking through this book of Isaiah, big book, and uh, choosing some parts of it uh, during this time in our services here in Cottenham. And this uh, chapter is often used on this third Sunday of Advent. It's a description of the restoration uh, of Zion, and it contrasts with a lot of the earlier chapters in Isaiah where there was warning and uh, where Israel was being spoken to about how many things uh, she was doing wrong. But this is about good news, and it seems to fit in uh, with the time of Advent, and particularly the sense on the third Sunday often of joy. And perhaps it does show us, uh, as we think about uh, this time, that we need to reflect on life in all its different aspects. There are many things uh, that are not joyful in our world, and we need to be real about that. But we also need hope, don't we? We always need uh, to come to things that will uh, renew us and strengthen us, and this passage is one of those passages. Uh, the second Sunday of Advent, I don't know how you were going through the uh, themes uh, during these past couple of Sundays, but often uh, it's associated with John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist perhaps was not uh, always looking for the most uh, joyful Things He was uh, very aware of the sins of the people, wasn't he, and calling people to repent. And at times John the Baptist got quite depressed when he was in uh, prison and when he was wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah? Uh, and uh, so this passage comes to us as a word of encouragement in whatever we're going through uh, at this particular time. And as we have been thinking over the last uh, few days watching the news, um, one of the people who is in our minds when we think about a message of hope is, of course, Nelson Mandela. And I've just chosen one picture which will uh, come up in a minute. It's one that I rather like. If you look on the internet, there's many, many pictures. Uh, but this one is uh, one with uh, uh, Desmond Tutu uh, and uh, Nelson Mandela. And it perhaps reminds us that there's a story about Nelson Mandela which is not the one that we hear about so much, uh, which is about the way in which uh, the Bible has sustained him. And I happen to have a friend uh, who is uh, someone who knows South Africa quite well and knows some of the people close to Nelson Mandela. And uh, he was just telling me, my friend was telling me uh, in these last few days uh, about uh, occasions when Nelson Mandela has spoken more privately about the ways in which uh, the Scriptures uh, and messages from the scripture uh, and psalms particularly have sustained him and so to have Bishop Desmond Tutu Archbishop Desmond Tutu there as well it reminds us of the way in which God has been at work in 
the nations, for example, in South Africa. And so when we think about the road that comes out of this passage, the highway, the way in which God is coming, the way in which uh, God is working, uh, one of uh, the things that Nelson Mandela says is, I have walked that long road to freedom. I have tried not to falter. I have made mistakes along the way, but I have discovered the secret that after climbing a great hill, one finds that there are many more hills to climb. I have taken a moment here to rest, to look at a view of the glorious vista that surrounds me, to look back on the distance I have come, but I can only rest for a moment, for with freedom comes responsibility, and I dare not linger, for my long walk is not ended. And we think of someone whose long walk now is ended in terms of uh, his part of the human story, and yet in another sense is not ended. And that's what Isaiah is really talking about. He's talking to people at a certain stage in history, isn't he? And he's saying to them, look around you, there's lots of things to discourage you. Uh, it seems like there's desert and there's wilderness Uh, There's hardship, there's difficulty, and yet, he says, in the midst of that, God is present. God is there in the desert to make something blossom in the desert. And perhaps as we think about how struggles have taken place, Nelson Mandela's tremendous struggles uh, at a time, uh, many times actually, uh, when he felt there was no way uh, that things could change. Perhaps in our lives this morning, we're needing to hear uh, this in our desert situations. Uh, Many of you know that I go into Addenbrooke's as uh, a chaplain, and I meet a lot of people, and they're in hard situations. They're in what this describes as uh, a wilderness situation because of illness, because uh, of things that have happened in their families, and they're reflecting on that. Sometimes it's happened very suddenly, sudden accident, uh, and they're in a very different place till they were even a few days before in their lives. Sometimes it's over a long period of time. Sometimes they're wrestling with issues of loneliness and depression. And so this word is the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. There's a message of hope for us in our situations because God is with us. And the desert, uh, when I think about it as a picture, uh, and when I think about something blossoming, of course takes me to the picture of water, uh, that without water, something isn't going to blossom, is it? it isn't going to grow, it isn't going to flourish. And what is the water? It's what we take into ourselves of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke about uh, the Holy Spirit as that water of life that comes within us and bubbles up uh, within us. And uh, perhaps in terms of our availability of of water, we don't uh, think much about how precious water is uh, because it's so readily available. Uh, When I grew up in the north of Scotland, uh, we didn't have water coming through Uh, the taps so much, we had to go to a a well. It wasn't quite African style, you know, we didn't have to go uh, through the hot sun 
there wasn't any hot sun in the north of Scotland. Um, but we did go, have to go a little distance to get to the water. And it makes you think about what you have to do to get water. And uh, in many parts of the world, that's a real issue, isn't it, uh, today? But the water is a picture of what is needed in the desert, isn't it? Otherwise, uh, there is no life. Otherwise, everything is dead. And so, today in this Advent time, the coming of Christ, the coming of the Spirit, Jesus himself, I am the one who gives uh, that living water, as he said uh, to the woman that he met at the well. And so, uh, today, whatever the desert situation, whatever the hard situation, wherever it seems like nothing good is growing in our lives, and we need sometimes just to be real about those struggles, uh, let us invite that living water of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And as we've received again through the communion, Christ, who is the living water, through his forgiveness, through his renewal. And it also speaks in the passage not only about uh, the desert, but also uh, about fear in people's hearts. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. And again, thinking of Nelson Mandela, uh, he spoke often uh, about the struggle with fear. And he said, this courage is not the absence of fear. It's not as if we can come to the point where we say, I am not afraid of anything. I can take on the world. That wasn't actually what he was saying. But he said, if we can be inspired to move beyond the fears that cripple us. Now that's the point, isn't it? Where people are crippled by fear, where they can't move. And on this sense in Advent of God coming into not only the things that are really hard, but sometimes the things that we fear that are maybe not actually as bad as we fear them to be. That's possible, isn't it? Uh, that we build up something in our minds uh, as worse than it really is. But the fear is real. And so there's a message here for those who are fearful uh, to say we can move beyond the fear as we allow God's Spirit to come into our lives. And so there is the desert, there is the place of fear. And then there are also in the passages other uh, pictures. It's an amazing uh, passage of pictures. Those who are blind becoming able to see. Those who are deaf becoming able to hear. It's something I'm very aware of now, having had my uh, ears unstopped. Uh, as it says here, and the lame leaping like a deer and the mute tongue shouting for joy. It's all pictures that would have meant a huge amount to the people uh, who heard them when Isaiah uh, was giving these prophecies. It's about change. And as we look into this time when Jesus, as we remember, came into the world, but as we look beyond into the coming year, what changes are going to take place? What do we anticipate in the life of this congregation that could be new, that could be life-giving, uh, that could bring about something in different people's lives in this community that they would say, yes, 
I couldn't see before, but now I can. Yes, I couldn't hear. And we're thinking about the message of Jesus, aren't we? Uh, that people, many people can't see it. Many people can't hear that message. And what we're looking for is for people to respond to that message and for ways by which that message can be communicated. So that joy will come and uh, there will be new life. And the last part of uh, the passage is this picture of the highway, uh, the way of holiness. And uh, it's perhaps not exactly the kind of highway we would uh, think of when we think of three-lane highways or four-lane highways or anything like that. But actually, uh, in this uh, period, there were great roads that took commerce up and down them. Uh, And so there is a picture, as Isaiah uses this idea of uh, the highway, uh, of a place that people would be. But often, what was happening on the highway was not really holiness. It was uh, trade that exploited people, or it was danger on the highway. And so Isaiah is using this picture in a different way. The highway will be there, but not the highway that you think of. It will be a highway of holiness. And sinful people who we often think they're going to do us some harm on the highway, they will not be there. The lions who we're afraid of when we travel, they will not be there. But the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. And they will enter Zion on the highway with singing. And everlasting joy will crown their heads. And gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. It's a fantastic picture uh, of moving into God's purposes. And it's big. And sometimes we don't really get the bigness of what... God is doing. But as I started with the picture of the Moravian uh, community, uh, and this Moravian community was a group of refugees uh, who didn't know how they were going to find safety and shelter and just took roads out of the places where they lived, which were dangerous, and found themselves in a new community, a new era for them. And this relatively small group of people uh, became the first really significant Protestant missionary movement as they sent missionaries across different parts of the world. It's a phenomenal story uh, of God using people uh, who never imagined that they would end up in the places that they did. And so let us think about how the potential of something small can become something Big, how this highway, this place that God prepares for us into the future, we can walk down, we can run down, we can go down, we can be singing, we can be rejoicing. Another uh, thing linked to the Moravian story is that uh, William Carey, whose name perhaps is more familiar to us uh, in terms of Baptist mission, he said, The people who I look to when I think about what God is calling me to do in India, they are the Moravians. They're the people who have inspired me. So think about what uh, Nelson Mandela said about being inspired and being renewed 
and allowing our light to shine, as he said in another place. Uh, Carey looked to these Moravians and he said, if they can do this work, we can do it. They're only a few people, we're only a few people, but we can do things for God. And so William Carey, as you know, uh, went out uh, to India and uh, although he didn't see much happen in terms of not thousands of people coming to know Christ in his lifetime, that seed, those seeds that he planted have grown and grown. So at the Baptist Assembly uh, this year, we were hearing, uh, as uh, we heard different reports from somebody from India, uh, who today is involved in church planting in India, an Indian brother uh, who was talking about how in the last 10 years uh, he and colleagues with him have planted 10,000 churches uh, across the communities of India in 10 years. And so, you see, the highway, the big things that God can do that start with very small things. Start with us recognizing in the desert there can be growth. Where there's fear, that can be uh, something that we can transcend through the power of the Spirit. And we can walk the road, the highway that God has set out for us in the power of his Spirit. Amen.